myself and I also acknowledge the Noongar people who certainly know how to look after the land and the water and the air. I am professor and head of the School of Biological Sciences and we've had a tremendous response and thank you so much for coming along. And special thanks to the Vice-Chancellor, Professor Dawn Freshwater, and to the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Science, Tony O'Donnell, for all your support. It's really helped. And I also thank Brenda and her amazing team, as well as Linda Rayner-Thomas in the School of Biological Sciences who've made this happen. Last Sunday, November the 11th, we celebrated, or marked rather, Armistice Day a hundred years after the end of World War I. Now my father, who was born in 1919, a few years ago asked me to imagine a world without plastic. That was the world that he was born into. And it was a very interesting exercise. Plastic is amazing stuff. It's diverse and it's incredibly useful. It's in our phones, our TVs, electrical appliances, medical devices, white goods, furniture, carpets, paint, buttons, zips, tips of shoelaces, packaging for practically everything in our supermarkets from cosmetics to crisps, packaging for all those deliveries, just think of all the bubble wrap and the polystyrene, dry cleaning pickup, cars, trains, boats, and recently planes, I learned that the Dreamliner is virtually 100% plastic. One hopes not the engines. So really, plastic is everywhere. Um, and it's, in, it's, it's where it's meant to be. It's incredibly useful, but increasingly, it, it's where it's not meant to be and polluting our environments. Now, I'm a scientist. I'm also a mother and a grandmother. And like you, increasingly concerned about the state of our planet. We only have one. And today, we have the most amazing panel, and I'd like you to all come up now, who are going to help us discuss this issue so that we can, as the Vice-Chancellor so rightly uh, said, actually start to find solutions. So... We're going to start um, with the introductions, and if I could start um, with uh, Julia Reza, please. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Julia Heiser. I'm an oceanographer and plastic pollution expert. I've recently joined a foundation called Mindaroo, and my main role there is to come up with um, ways to solve our current plastic waste crisis. Uh, my name is Darren, I'm an engineer from UWA and also a father whose two-year-old daughter is going to be exactly my age by 2050 and when I found out that is the year we're tipped to have more plastic in our oceans and fish, I want to do something about it. Started doing a bit of research and discovered that WA has zero plastic reprocessing, which means none of our plastic has ever been reprocessed in WA and decided it was time to do something about it. And I'm in the process of setting up a reprocessing plant now. So, Anas. Anas Gadwani, I'm Professor of Environmental Engineering. I'm an expert in water engineering. So, anything that's in the water and where it goes and how it ends up there uh, is my area. And I specialize especially in wastewater and urban water cycle. And Rebecca. 
Um, my name is Rebecca Prince-Ruiz. I'm the founder of Plastic Free July. And I'm really passionate about this problem because I've seen it for myself firsthand, the problem of waste and the problem of pollution. And once you've seen something and you've felt deeply about something, you can't unsee it and unknow it. And so I'm really determined to be part of the solution. Thank you all. So I think that you will see that we've got a diversity in our panel. And diversity is always a good thing. It's a very sound biological principle. We wouldn't be here without it. And I think it's going to need that level of diversity to, to really solve and come up with solutions for what is a very complex problem. So, Rebecca, I'd like to start by asking you just how, how big is this? I actually don't think any of us can really picture just how big this problem is. But as, as you right, so rightfully just pointed out, it's a relatively recent invention and it's a relatively recent problem. So I think it's important to keep that, that perspective, especially as we think about solutions. So since it was first invented just over 100 years ago, we have gone from using plastic for durable, reusable items to increasingly single use. And of, in the first 10 years of this century, we've pr already produced more plastic than the entire last century, and that figure is set to double again by 2025. Now, recycling is definitely a part of that solution, but we've managed to recycle 9%. So that other 91% has ended up in our environment, in our landfills, and unfortunately, in our ocean. And the, I don't think that, that every, I think everyone in the panel will, would agree that there's no single solution to this problem. It's a complex problem and it's going to take a range of solutions from the behaviour change which we in, encourage people to participate in through Plastic Free July, reducing and refusing single-use plastic in their lives, to we need solutions from industry, we need regulations by government, and we need to really rethink how we use this material which is designed to last forever. And my question is, should we really be using it for things that we just use for a few minutes? So the problem is, is I, I think at the heart of it, is how we're using it and a great mismatch between how we're using it and the systems we have in place to capture it and to reuse it and reuse it. So on that note, um, I'd like to turn a little bit to recycling and ask Darren about this. We've obviously got good plastics, the ones that we want to use and the ones we want to keep. Um, tell us more, please, about the status of plastic recycling. I mean. Every week we have this bin with a yellow lid on it and we chuck all this stuff in it. Is it recycled? What happens to it? What happens in WA? Yeah, okay. Well, or just elsewhere? to step back, there's like a couple of steps to recycling. Like us putting it in our recycling bin is not the end of the, the problem. It's just a start. So we've got the collection. We then have a commingled recycling system. So it's going to be sorted back into individual streams and then it's going to be reprocessed. So on the collection side of things, we almost all have a recycling bin now. There's still a few uh, towns that don't, like Geraldton does not have recycling bins yet, but 99% of our population is covered, so that's kind of good. How effectively we use it, there's a bit of room for improvement. Um, the Waste Authority stats say that about 4% of our plastic ends up in a recycling bin at a household level. That means 96% does not even get put in a bin, which is really bad. Commercially, our business and that sort of stuff, 
their recovery rate is around 5%. That means 95% is not recovered. So there's definitely some room for improvement. What then happens to it? That's sorting. We've got some really good facilities. Cleanaway's got this massive uh, MRF material recovery facility, state-of-the-art, they're doing a really good job. Then the reprocessing is terrible. We have zero reprocessing here in WA. That makes us equal last in the world. No one does less than zero. So, yeah, some elements are good, lots are terrible. Okay, so um, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, Darren. But another really major implication are the health issues, not just for us, but also for um, the animals on this planet. And I'm going to ask Julia to comment on this, but before I do, I just want to relate a story about a, a unit, a field unit, that is run in Sri Lanka by our school staff member. He takes 20 students there. It's funded by the Colombo Plan, and it's about human-wildlife conflict. And on one of the trips, they came, they went to the, the local rubbish dump outside one of the, the cities, Colombo, I think, and there was an elephant which had ingested plastic was lying on top of the tip and then took nine days to die from a twisted bowel. So, and that's, the, that's an example we can see. There's a beautiful painting in the art gallery about a whale, with a whale sort of shrouded in plastic. So I'd like to, to turn to Julia, please, to tell us a little bit more about the implications for health, for animals and humans, and also your concerns about the oceans. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry Julia. Yeah, so I think as the, the other members of the panel uh, highlighted, we, you know, we need to really see that the core problem here is, is our linear economy. So we, we produce heaps amount of plastic, we use it most of the time just once, and then we have lots of waste coming through that process, the way we're using plastics. And unfortunately, the oceans is downhill from everywhere. So a proportion of that huge amount of waste that we're producing is ending up in our oceans. And once that waste is in the oceans, it's damaging wildlife, it's damaging economies, and it's affecting even our human health. So in terms of the wildlife, the plastic, depending on the size, it can either, uh, you know, animals can get entangled on the plastic and then suffocate, or they cannot swim anymore and they die or the animals can ingest plastics and sometimes it damages their digestive systems and they can die as well from that ingestions. And then even more concerning, there is uh, evidence that suggests that the plastic is also being a vector for animals to get chemicals, toxins into their bodies. So the plastics, when, when we manufacture pl plastics, uh, sometimes we add uh, chemicals to the plastic to make it more flexible, resistant to, to, so that it doesn't set into fire, so the fl flame retardants. And often we don't test those chemicals very properly before we, we put them into the, the manufacturing of plastics. So when you end up in the ocean, that the plastic can leach out to the water or to the animals that are ingesting the plastic. And also plastic can act as a magnet for the pollutants that are in the water already. So we also have pollutants that end up in, in, in the oceans through, for instance, landfills. So all that, that waste that we put on late, in landfills, there is chemical leaching out of that, 
it goes and also because the ocean is downhill, it ends up there. And then if there is plastic in the water, the plastic can kind of attract that pollutant. So the plastic is kind of, it can be seen like as a toxin fuel sometimes. And uh, there is, uh, it's a bit of a fight right now uh, between the scientists, but there are some scientists that are very concerned that those chemicals are actually going from the plastic to the body of the animals. So that's, that's the, the wildlife story. So then when it comes to economies, uh, we haven't quantified very well what, what the plastic means for economy, but it's just it's easy to imagine. Like if you go to countries where, they, you know, even in Australia and some beach, there's so much plastic in the beach that's not that pleasant anymore to be there. So we, we're having loss in tourism and, and other types of activities. And then the human health is very connected to the wildlife proportion because we eat seafood. So, you know, a tiny fish eats the plastic, then a bigger fish like a tuna eats the tiny tiny plastic, and then that tuna end up in our plate with some chemicals that could have come from the water, but it could also be coming from the plastic. So that's how you know, that problem is affecting the oceans and us as well. Thank you, Julia. So obviously very pervasive, and I'd like to turn to Anas now and tell us a little bit about your work and, and the water supply yeah. and what your thoughts are and your findings. Yeah, well, uh, I'd like people to think about the water cycle as uh, um, from the local point of view, but from the global point of view. So a few years back when this issue around, especially the tiny particles, the microplastics, and uh, uh, microplastics are essentially, uh, can be microscopic, can be very, very tiny, below the millimeter, and can be up to uh, five millimeters. That's sort of the definition at the moment. A few years back, people were asking, well, uh, are plastics gonna, or microplastics gonna make it in the water cycle? And we made this prediction. It's really simple because I think for years, uh, many, many years, we understand how persistent pollutants work. Uh, we have many, many examples. We are actually experts as humans in releasing uh, pollutants into the environment and also in understanding very well where they're going to end up. And the simple answer to this is that if you release a persistent pollutant into the environment, wherever you release it, it's going to end up everywhere. So I think the topic of the answer from the question today is that, uh, is it really everywhere? In fact, we made that prediction and everywhere we looked, we found microplastics. And when we found microplastics, we found it more than we expected it's going to be. And that's, that's the problem. So uh, let me just give you a simple example. Uh, uh, you know, our vice chancellor reflected on the actions that we do every day. We eat, we, we wash clothes, we do all these things. So every load of washing uh, releases about 40,000 microfiber that ends up in our water system. Now, lots of it gets retained or re uh, uh, removed in our waste treatment facilities, but a, a large proportion of it also makes it into the environment. Now, microfibers are, uh, you know, in number of clothes that we use, and certainly with the popularity of people going to brunch in active wear, uh, there is lots of it. Uh, you know, I'm not saying again, I'm, I'm usually called a party pooper because I talk about how much water we use for make chocolate and other things, but also the fact that, you know, we shouldn't stop our lifestyle necessarily, but we should just reflect on the impacts. And I think there are lots of 
ways that we can change this. I'm very encouraged every day. The, the people around me here are going to solve this problem. I talk to my students uh, almost on a daily basis. There's so many people who are passionate. So I, there's lots of hope, but it's everywhere. It's a complex issue. Thank you, Anas. So that leads uh, beautifully to trying to think perhaps about behavior as well as technology. So I'm going to ask Darren, do you think we have the right technology, the best technology to actually do the recycling? What other whiz-bang things do we need? And what do we perhaps need in the home? That you know, Because prevention is better than, than cure. So you've got to be able to stop it at the source. What are your ideas on, on that aspect, Darren? Yeah, I would completely agree. Like, if we can reduce the plastic that we use, that's the, the first level of the, the waste hierarchy. Um, but as we said, there's lots of useful plastics and it's a lifestyle kind of thing. The question about recycling the technology, it's already out there. We don't need to invent it. I literally just got back from China last week where I went touring um, a number of factories where they make it. In the one province that I was in, there was 30 different manufacturers to choose from. We don't have to invent it, it's already there. We just gotta buy it, bring it in and do it. Um, Recycling is not really that hard. It's like big industrial versions of paper shredders and big industrial versions of washing machines. The technology is there and it's super, super simple. There's nothing revolutionary about it. Um, and plastic can be recycled over and over again. Um, there is an element of degradation. Sometimes if you get it too hot in that process, if you're doing it properly, you shouldn't be degrading it too fast. There's actually even technology out there already um, rather than mechanical recycling called chemical recycling, we actually break the plastics down to the, the monomer chain levels and you can reform them again. So really, every plastic is recyclable with the technology that is already out there. Okay. Don't need to invent it, we just need to do it. So that, that leads beautifully to this, the issue more of, of the behaviour. So while we were setting up this uh, panel discussion, Brenda brilliantly got us together for sort of a pre-meeting. And one of your team described a cake. So this is a cake that you could buy from a certain supermarket, begins with C, and um, this cake was sliced up with sheets of plastic between each slice. It was sitting on a plastic tray with a plastic cover over it. Now that seems to me pretty excessive. In fact, um, walking down the supermarket, any supermarket aisles, there's so much packaging there. So I wonder, and I'd like to turn to Rebecca, um, the behavioural issue. I mean, you came up with this incredible idea about your bin. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and perhaps the sorts of ideas that you think individuals could take on, on, the, on, the, on their own, off their own bat? Yeah, I think, I think that's a good question and I'm obviously a very passionate believer that behaviour change is, is an important part of the solution. So, so um, my journey started when I actually visited one of these uh, sorting facilities that Darren was speaking about earlier and saw the sheer volume of what we produce and for the first time understood the complex process to sort it, to send it off for reprocessing and it really hit me that the best thing I could do was not to fill my recycling bin, was to have an empty recycling bin and reduce as much as I could. So that was, um, so Plastic Free, that's the story of Plastic Free July, the next month when I just 
um, decided I was going to try and avoid single-use plastic, just happened to be July. And this was back in 2011. And the conversation then was really only just starting. I remember doing the first interview on the ABC and we just spent the whole time talking about single use because they were talking about, you know, the value of plastics in the chairs and the computers and the phones. Whereas I think in the last eight years, you know, in the last week, single use was, was the word of the year that was reported in The Guardian. So we've certainly come a long way in our, in our awareness. And, and what the challenge um, it did, it, it, first of all, it makes you realise just how much plastic there is in your life. And, and surrounding us and I realised like I didn't have all the solutions I still you know we're not plastic free in our home we've probably reduced it by about 80 percent but together by doing it in a community and I know there's, there's there's a few people here in this room I actually met Julia she was one of the early adopters of plastic free July you know this is a, a, a sh so many people are concerned about this problem and if we all start to take those small daily steps whether it's remembering our reusable bags and water bottles and coffee cups or refusing those crazy, um, you know, individually sliced packaged pieces of cake or straws or the plastics we can do without. I really think that those changes that we all can make on an individual level every day can start to add up to have a collective impact as consumers. And then it also, what I've seen and what really gives me great hope is people then taking that concern that has come from their behaviour change and then turn that into their citizen voice and acted by calling on government, by calling on industry to do something differently. So I think that's great and, and that makes me think of I guess the other end of the spectrum and our corporations and our industries and the such like and how we, I mean, obviously we've got the power of the purse to, to not buy um, things that are absurdly wrapped in plastic and the such like. Um, but how do you think, and I'd like to ask both Anas and Julia about this, how do you think that we can actually start working not just as individuals but get together as groups? Anas, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, well, I, I think there's, uh, there's lots of awareness. I think lots of the... Uh, recent conversation in the last five, ten years, I think there's lots of awareness uh, about the issue and I think lots of people are collectively uh, trying to tackle this issue. Certainly industries are open to new alternatives. I think that lots of people see uh, good opportunities for redefining the way their supply chain works. Uh, lots of companies are actually embracing uh, some drastic changes in the way they, um, you know, buy their products and they use within their companies. But I think we need to do more. I think we need to reinvent the chemistry of plastic as well. I think some of it doesn't need to exist. Uh, you know, a few years back, we, uh, I called, personally called for a ban on glitter. So that got me in trouble because, you know, would you believe it? Glitter is very popular. But glitter doesn't have to be just plastic. Now, the good news about that story was that uh, lots of people were upset about the idea of banning glitter, but there are lots of uh, companies are now making biodegradable glitter. Uh, so, you know, th there are so many examples uh, of opportunities that uh, we can reinvent the way we party, even that cake could change. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that, uh, that we can do, in fact, and I think if we 
uh, if we get together, we can solve those, those issues. So Julia, did you want to comment as well? Yeah, I would like just to leave a take-home message here that you know, the plastic pollution problem is not only visible, but solvable. And everyone here can advocate for and invest in a circular economy where plastic is seen as a resource and not as waste after we use it for the first time. And I think our ultimate goal should be to decouple plastic production from fossil fuels. And we can do that. And we can do that by eliminating the unnecessary plastics, such as the microplastics that Ernest has been talking about, by innovating and making sure that our packaging is either reusable, recyclable, or compostable, and then finally circulate that material. So we need, when we produce the plastic, it needs to stay on the economy. We should be moving towards zero plastic waste. And we've produced so much plastic, there is so much plastic out there that we already have enough to be working on that circular economy. And as Darren said, there is some exciting technologies out there. One of them is called depolymerization, where you know, even the dirty plastic with this new technology can become food grade plastic. So, you know, right now, most of what we do is downcycling. We take like a high value plastic bottle and we transform that into a carpet. And that's the core of the problem because recycling is not profitable. But there are people working hard there, out there, lots of startups that are coming up with some processes that can do the opposite. You take a dirty carpet and you can do some food grade plastic. So I think we, we should all be energized here, like with hope that we can solve that. And you know, be dialoguing and, and looking at the politicians that you vote for and what you're purchasing in the supermarket to really be you know, investing in that circular economy. So thank you for that. And in the last few minutes, I'd like to ask um, the, the panelists what you think your top idea is for what we should do going forward and what you hope um, people here today can take away with them. So, Rebecca. Oh, um, so I'll start with the what, what I'd like people to do today. This is a really easy ask from me, so you might get some trickier ones down here, but mine is to do one thing. You know, we can't all do everything, but we can all do something. So whether your one thing is to tell someone what you've learnt today or to make a, a pledge that you're going to always remember your reusable bag and not get around the bag van and buy a 15 cent bag or a new reusable bag every time you go shopping. You know, look at the plastics in, in your bin. And um, I think we can all do something. So I'd like everyone to, to decide what the one thing that you can do in your life. And in terms of moving forward, I really think that we need to come together as a community, as citizens, and there are so many passionate people around the world and in this place where we live working on this problem. And I think um, that the whole is, is greater than the sum of the parts. Thank you, Rebecca. Anas? Well, for me, I think it's uh, individual. I think I will ask you to go back home and look at uh, what you're eating and what you're wearing. 
And I think if you reflect on those two items, I think these are things that you know, children can make decisions about. I, may, I, I spoke to a number of uh, school children who are actually uh, you know, leading initiatives in their schools about plastic, around food, around gardening. Around. So these are, this is a big, big uh, uh, circle uh, of influence. And I think we can all start it from the way uh, we eat and the way we, we purchase our clothing. And I think there is a lot to do there. Thank you, Anas. Darren. Um, I want us to think about the whole single-use plastics. Like, they're a very convenient thing for us, and that's one of our challenges. They're so convenient. If we systemically change it and have reprocessing, if all those single-use plastics were actually reprocessed and used over and over again, we systemically remove all single-use plastics because that resource is circular and used multiple times. And this is something we need to advocate at higher levels up to politicians and government. We just spent... $90 million building a bridge to get people to the footy. A recycling plant is like a couple of million dollars. Like, it's crazy. Why are we not doing it? And I think we need to join together as a population. We launched Green Batch off a crowdfunding campaign. It was one of the biggest campaigns in WA, which is phenomenal. It was about waste. Who has seen war on waste? Like, a big portion of us. It's amazing. And we are getting traction because the people of WA are getting behind this. Thank you. Um, so you one thing, go join us on Green Batch and help us lobby our government to get behind this. And I want to change our vocabulary. It's not a war on plastic. It's a war on plastic pollution. Thank you, Darren. And Julia, very briefly. Yeah, I think I already said my take-home message here. So, yeah, just I think on an individual basis really to try to decrease the amount of waste that goes into your bins and then to question where the waste that you're creating is going to, because we need to make sure that it doesn't end up in the environment and in the oceans, and we need to recycle and move towards that circular economy. Thank you. Thank you very much. So now we have just a little bit of time for some Q&A from you in the audience, and if, if Ashley is there to take the microphone for us, I can just borrow one. Do we have any questions, thank you, Ashley, from the audience? There's, there's quite a few. <laughs> I have to keep this to time because we have got the prize giving next. I, I uh, notice a gentleman here with a camera and one of the things I would like to do as a result of, of being here is if this was, if this talk that you've just given is on YouTube, I could think of about 10 people I would send that link to. Yes, it's being recorded and will be available. That's an excellent point. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I suppose my question to the panellists was, um, what role can the university play to transition more to a circular economy? Who'd like to take that? That. <laughs> well, certainly, uh, lo lots of the solutions actually start uh, from universities. Lots of the research that we do is about understanding the transport and the fate of, of, uh, of plastics, but also about the chemistry, the materials, and all of that. So that's certainly a role that we take very seriously in producing, generating the knowledge that's necessary 
for uh, businesses to make decisions, but also because we are a research institution, our work is mostly about making impact on the community in terms of, uh, you know, uh, educating uh, people about, we educate certainly our students and our students become uh, ambassadors to in the community, also advocating for for those changes. Certainly that's, that's part, that's really uh, one of the key aspects. Our university is embarking on a strategic plan to uh, tackle the grand challenges and certainly plastics and, and the pollution in general uh, is one of them. Can I, can I just add something to that? Um, at in, in terms of the, the thinking about the university as a community, you know, you have um, cafeterias on this campus, you have open days, you have ways then that you, events that you communicate with the public. We actually need to consider um, us as communities also changing our behaviour and actually leading by example. And I think it's a great opportunity to, to be the change, you know, you want to see for one of a better cliche. You will be pleased to know that our open day is plastic free. Yes, did you get rid of the balloons? Yes, we oh, did. I'm so <laughs> pleased. Can I say on the university? University is doing an amazing job. Um, Green Batch is being based in a facility given to us by UWA on a peppercorn lease, which is amazing. Thank you, UWA. Um, that's a huge support to get this facility up and running. Where our officers are based in the business school. We've got a whole army of UWA students who come along and volunteer. The uni gives them credit for volunteering, working on these sort of things. Brilliant. Working with future Brilliant. students, getting out to high school students. So you know is doing a lot, so thank you. Thank you, Darren. There's a question uh, there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a question for Darren. You mentioned that uh, plastic, there's no recycling in WA. So what happens to the hard plastic that goes into our yellow bins and the soft plastic that we put in the receptacles outside Coles or Woolies? Yep. So when I say there's no recycling, I say there's no reprocessing. So the stuff that ends up in your recycling bin, it goes through the sorting facilities. The stuff that doesn't pass through that facility ends up in landfill. The stuff that does ends up on a ship and being sent to whoever will take it. Um, China used to be a big importer of plastics until they brought in a ban in January this year, which meant we couldn't send our plastics to Japan. We, uh, so China, sorry. We started sending it to Malaysia on the 26th of October. Malaysia announced they were bringing in a ban over the next three years, and now we have to find another source. So we're just kind of shipping our waste to other people. Which, um, is, which is shocking. Yeah, and um, so... And can I just add something? I think, you know, I'm going to be honest. I think our recycling uh, landscape in Australia is very confusing. Uh, recently, the state government has released a new strategy, and I think there's lots of good things that uh, in that strategy and one of them is just uh, having bins in all councils that make that are the same now you have different councils with different bins uh, with a show of hands how many of you uh, know whether uh, well I'm gonna ask you a question is a, a, a box of pizza recyclable in Australia today show of hand yes no yeah, so m most of you know that it's one. And that's one of the ones that uh, is uh, an, an easy one, uh, let alone, uh, uh, you know, the degree of contamination of the bottle that you put that has 10% or 2%. That's really decides on who is going to take that waste and, and process it. And I think we need to do a lot in, clarif in, in, make, 
introduce a lot of clarity for people to understand one what is recyclable and what is not and if they if we know if we're told that it's recyclable we need to see some evidence that it is and again referring to the war on waste where you know they have been they tagged some items and they sh they you know, follow them around, and it's not going where it says it was going to go. So there's a lot to do there. Just in there, there's a lot. Yeah. Would you agree? Uh, and a really interesting one, there's a very big difference between recyclable yeah. and recycled. Yeah. That one D yeah. changes everything. Um, to finish off your question about the red cycle stuff, um, we don't have any reprocessing here, so it gets put on a truck and sent over to a, a factory in Victoria called Replas. Um, last time I spoke with the managing director over there, he had 100 tonnes of excess plastics in his yard. Circular economy. They can only put through as much as people buy. They make furniture and bollards and that sort of stuff. So for every kilo of plastic they put through, they need someone to buy a kilo of product. So that's where the circular economy comes. If we're not buying it, there's backlogs. And that's a real challenge. And when there's a backlog, where does it go? Okay, any more questions? Yes? My question actually follows on from the last question and you've answered in part already by your comments. Um, I've been very concerned about recycling for many, many years. I've had my own shopping bags and all of that. I've pre-sorted. My problem is the goalposts keep changing. And uh, I live in a local government authority, which is a large one here in Perth. And uh, I remember way back that we had these horrible plastic bags that we used to put our recycling in. Um, then we went to about 10 years or so of a single bin system, which was sorted locally. Then that stopped and we got three bins. We've now got green one, yellow lid, and a small rubbish one. And I was quite put out and felt quite let down just recently when there was um, coverage in the local newspaper uh, oh, by the way, you cannot put soft plastics yeah. in the recycling okay. anymore. So Why the, not? So the question. Why not? Because, this is the question, China is refusing mm. to take contaminated recycling. And that really made me feel quite indignant because we use the plastic. Of course it's been contaminated. There's stickers on it, you know, you name it. I keep myself short here. I would like to ask you, what constitutes contaminated recycling? And how far am I supposed to go as a consumer in scrubbing my aluminium trays? Yeah, excellent question. I can, a couple of things. The, there's three facilities in Perth where our yellow lid uh, recycling gets sorted. They're the material recovery facilities. One is SMRC, one's CleanAway, and one is Suez. So really, there should only be three combination of what is and isn't recycled, depending on how those facilities are set up. Yet every local council seems to have a slightly different rules. What is amazing, as of a few months ago, those three facilities came together and unanimously agreed what they would and wouldn't take. So there is now one set of rules for every household in the metro. So that's actually going to make waste educators' jobs a bit easier, as well as citizens to understand what is and isn't recycled. I think that's an amazing move um, they've had to reduce some of the things that are on the recycling list and there's a, a couple of reasons for that. One is the China. They've restricted very heavily what they will take in. And at the end of the day, they can only take in to our sorting facilities what they can get out. There's no point. And 
So the history, they tender for contracts with local councils. They've been kind of adding things to the list to make their recycling more competitive than the neighbours. And there's an economic thing. They've all come together and they've got the same set of rules now. So hopefully we're going to have a much better system Which moving is great. forward. The contamination is interesting. It's actually part of the sorting system. When they send over a bale of PET bottles, in that is soft plastics. And it's not just PET. The lids and labels are different. Now, in China, they're not taking in anything with more than 0.5% contamination. When you have a bale of bottles, it's 15% is the lid and label. So it's 85% PET. So we can't send our stuff to China anymore because it's too contaminated. That's not about the little bit of Coke syrup down the bottom. That's a whole systemic global challenge. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, a really great point to end on because it, it's focusing on the value of this amazing stuff. And we've had some great ideas about how we need to treat it. So I need to wrap up this Q&A session now and summarise by saying I think as a society, uh, worldwide one would hope, we are actually beginning to go through a renaissance which shifts awareness to action. And we have to go from paralysis to really practical solutions. And this is going to be solved only with individuals as well as internationally, from kids to corporations. It's everybody. And I think we really have to put value on plastic. It's incredible stuff. It really, really is. And we need to treat it as treasure, not trash. Thank you.